the Bain Free Radio Hour. On the podcast, new perfume made from the broken flowers of innocence from the Garden of Good and Evil goes bad and accidentally restores the virtue of 57 miscreants. Expositionary lumps and cave-dwelling albino hiders. Plus, we continue with the complete audiobook serialization of Alliance of Equals by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller. All right now. Welcome to the Bain Free Radio Hour podcast. It's an honor to have you along. I'm Bain Editor Tony Daniel. We continue with our series On the Road, and this time we have an interview with Larry Correa, conducted at the Book Expo America in New York City. Larry talks about his upcoming new entry in the Monster Hunter series, which is called Monster Hunter Siege. That will be book eight in the mainline series. We also discuss many more upcoming exciting Larry Correa projects and Monster Hunter projects. So that is coming up. Plus, we continue with the complete audiobook serialization of Alliance of Equals, a Leaden Universe novel by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller. Now, here's the news. June is a very exciting month, and one reason is because our new hardcover by Robert Conroy and J.R. Dunn is out. This is the alternate history set during the American Civil War, the day after Gettysburg. Bob Conroy was about 65 to 75% done with the book, the day after Gettysburg, when he died unexpectedly. And with the support of Diane Conroy, his widow, we asked longtime Conroy copy editor and science fiction writer and political essayist J.R. Dunn to finish the book. We think he did a marvelous job, and now... The Day After Gettysburg is available at booksellers everywhere. Lee strikes back. After a terrible setback at Gettysburg, Robert E. Lee does not retreat across the Potomac and his ultimate surrender at Appomattox. Instead, he turns the tables on Union General George Meade with a vicious counterattack that sets the Union Army on its heels. While Lee sets out across Pennsylvania in a dazzling war of maneuver, a crazed actor closes in on President Lincoln. Standing in his way is Major Steve Thorne, a thoughtful lawyer-turned-soldier fighting for the Union in his own self-respect. And Cassandra Baird, a young woman whose courage is only surpassed by her determination to teach emancipated slaves to read and write and to ensure their freedom. Opposing them is Colonel Corey Wade, a brave Confederate officer who is just as determined to fight to the death for his honor and that of his state. And in the end, the fate of a nation may come down to a freed slave named Hadrian, a man with an iron resolve never to return to bondage. The time has come to strike a blow for liberty or go down swinging. The Day After Gettysburg by Robert Conroy and J.R. Dunn is now available at booksellers everywhere. Hey, I want to welcome Larry Correa to the podcast. Hi, Larry. Hey, thanks for having me on, Tony. Hey, we're at um, the BEA in New York City, which is the uh, Book Expo America, and it happens once a year here, and it's, uh, it's sort of the publishing Disneyland. Um, all the publishers and many booksellers uh, come here, and 
an author's sign, and Larry's here. He has signed uh, his new book, which is Monster Hunter Siege. Of course, uh, you should, everyone should know that Larry is the creator of the Monster Hunter series and the uh, Hard Hard Magic series as well, which is the Chronicles of Grimnor, and uh, many other things. And if you are uh, anything of a Bane reader, you know him, it's work well. So, Larry, um, what... Uh, What's going on around here? Isn't this a? It's quite a madhouse at the BEA. Sometimes this is smaller than before, though. Yeah, it's um, for those of you that have never been. It's a great big conference center. It's uh, the Javits Center in New York City, and uh, there's like thousands of librarians and booksellers and people looking for swag and free books. Do you? Um You've been here three times, third time, or is it the? Uh, I think this is my fourth one. Yeah, my first one was back in, uh, I want to say, 2012. Yeah. Well, we always like to have you here to uh, to draw, uh, to, to be the counter-programming to the rest of the New York uh, <laughs> stuff. Yeah, I, I guess uh, that uh, Hillary Clinton is speaking uh, later tonight. Directly and, uh, opposite of your reception. Yeah, I don't, I don't think I'm really going to draw too much from that crowd. And then also the um, Al Franken is here speaking, so apparently I'm the... Um, not really my normal crowd. Yeah. Well, I mean, you're needed. You're needed. It's like a missionary gone to, uh, you know, well, St. Patrick going to Ireland. You need to kill some snakes, too. Like, uh, It's actually probably pretty good that I have an event to sit at Hillary, because I'm pretty sure otherwise the Secret Service would ask me to leave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, here, um, you're here signing copies of Monster Hunter Siege. Um, Tell us about what's going on in the Monster Hunter series. I haven't read this one quite yet. I'm usually pretty prepared with some questions about uh, these things. But I have a feeling that some monsters get killed and there's some dire circumstances that uh, our Monster Hunters get into that seem like they can't possibly survive, and yet they do somehow. Well, actually, this time I figured I would just go with non-violent conflict resolution, and they just... They just kind of. Yeah, this time uh, Monster International, they just decided to talk it out, and uh, there's some aromatherapy, and. uh, In fact, there's a scratchy stuff cover right there. (laughs) Yeah, smells of lilacs and shame. (laughs) No, um, it's it's, Monster Hunter uh, picks up right after uh, Nemesis. It um, it's about the they they finally get to meet the big bad enemy that I've been teasing for the last couple books. Um, is this Owen? Uh, yeah, this is it a first person. Uh, yeah, this is another first person book. It's back to Owen's perspective. Um, so it's a lot of fun. This time, there's a they actually put together the biggest mission in Monster Hunter International's history. They team up with a bunch of other companies and go to a foreign country. I don't want to give too much away, but it's this is a great big expedition. That's where the siege comes from, and uh, it's pretty awesome. And so the first part of it's kind of a big team book. And then the second part of the book is Owen kind of stuck on his own, and it's it's pretty awesome. Does Earl show up in this one, or is he? Yeah, in fact, there's a bunch of Earl, but uh, it's not really particularly an Earl solo book, so it's more Earl as the leader. At one point, we have the training camp up in Alaska. It's referred to as Earl Harbinger's Day Camp for Wayward Youth. <laughs> it's pretty fun. It's, it's, it's pretty awesome. This is... Uh... Who could be the, the ultimate bad guy? What what has gone before? What about like Frank's is from this demon dimension, right? The, um... Yeah, so Frank's uh, Frank's though is uh, is technically a good guy. It's, he's actually uh, 
actually winds up as the series goes on um, working directly for God, which is really ironic if you know anything about Franks. Um, and then... Uh, but he would probably know who who the bad guy is. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this bad guy, what I did with this guy is this is an ancient, evil, basically lord of chaos. Which I had a lot of fun with because he's not what the he's not what the monster hunters expect. They kind of go in expecting a big Godzilla style roar monster smash kind of thing, and instead they get a guy who's very sneaky, very tricky, uh, very intelligent, but he's a god of chaos. He he his name literally means disorder, and he just basically unorganizes the universe is kind of his ultimate goal. Wow, that's cool magic. Yeah, it's it's actually pretty. It's it's pretty bleak, actually, because his ultimate goal is to just ruin everything. That's what he exists for. That's his entire purpose in the universe. Did you name him Bummer? The Lord Bummer didn't know. <laughs> no, they, they call him many unpleasant things, of course, because his monsters we're talking about. But... So what, does, uh, what does Owen go through? Where's Owen's personal life here? He's, uh, he's married. Well, this one, he's... Uh, so, uh, when we last saw Owen and Julie, uh, really at Nemesis, but then in Legion, um, Julie's pr- oh, they're married. Uh, Julie's pregnant. Surprise. Uh, they weren't expecting that. And so as this book goes on, it's actually, uh, so Julie's pregnant during this, and uh, she's going to wind up having the baby, but it's during this big mission, so she doesn't get to participate, uh, which actually really sucks for her. So she has to kind of stay home and run things. But the whole next book is actually, a, the, the next planned book in the series is called Monster Hunter Guardian, uh, co-written with Sarah Hoyt, and it's actually a Julie book. It's a, it's a solo Julie book. <laughs> kind of like Nemesis was a Frank's book and Alpha was an Earl book. Yeah, that's cool. So she'll, uh, she'll be dealing with things back home. That, uh, yeah, and then... And then is, is it coterminous with this? Like the same it time? is. And in fact, it's kind of funny because um, Siege ends... Um, people are calling it a cliffhanger. It's not really a cliffhanger because this story is resolved, but other events occur while Owen is not there. And people are like, well, why don't you resolve that? Well, because the re- resolution of those events is a whole other book. I mean, that's the whole point. And so, yeah, Guardian overlaps Siege in the timeline. Okay, well, that's cool. The, um, who else will we see from the past? Are the Shackleford's still around? They are, right? They're oh, yeah, yeah. So, um... That they they're not in this one a ton, but the boss is uh, is in it a little bit, and he's actually got a part in Guardian too. That but I can't really say too much about that yet. That uh, that god awful guy that works for the government, he got taken out though. Oh yeah, yeah. No spoilers. I don't want to give anything away to anybody who hasn't read Nemesis yet. But yeah, one of my greatest achievements as a writer is I I love when I take a character and everyone hates him, but then I make you cry when I kill him. Uh, that's that's when I know I'm doing my job. Yeah. Well, he had, he had a great backstory, as I recall. But oh yeah, he was. Kind of feel bad for him. He was awesome, he's actually. He's a great character. Really um, well, he was a dick, but he was a dick for a reason. Yeah. He, he was a, he was a dick on a mission, so uh, he was. <laughs> yeah. He he was one of those. He was a very hardworking government employee. <laughs> well, yeah, and he really screwed with Earl. Oh yeah, they those two hated each other. Actually, there was there was a lot of personal animosity between those two. So, what are um, uh, Monster Hunter books often have cool weapons uh, for some reason or Tucker? Well, this one I got to have fun because actually um, I was approached because in this in this next book in Siege I had to have a, a part where 
Owen was using a long-range rifle because he couldn't just use his regular abomination because it's just a short-range gun. And so I needed a precision rifle. And at the same time period, I got approached by JP Enterprises who wanted to build a signature Monster Hunter gun. So what we actually did is this we... This is real life. This is real life. This yeah. is real life. So we actually built Owen's gun. Exactly. And they sell it. It's called the Cazador. The JP Enterprises Cazador. Cazador is the place in Alabama where they're... Yeah, the, that's their hometown. Their hometown. And so, uh, so we have the JP. The JP Cazador is a, it's a four thousand dollar rifle. <laughs> it's nice. it's very nice. Um, yes, I got number one. Was mine. <laughs> it's it's pretty amazing, actually. I mean, as a as a gun guy from way back, that must feel really good. To, uh... Oh gosh, yeah. As a gun nut, when you start having really cool companies making fictional guns from your books, it's kind of amazing. I'll be honest. It's a great, it's a great rifle though. I've, oh yeah, yeah. I actually, I'm taking it in October to a. Um, they're doing a long range rifle class, a long range precision rifle class, just for me and my fans. Hey, that's cool. <laughs> Up there at their headquarters. Uh, no, actually, New Mexico. Oh, okay. There's not really a lot of places in Minnesota where you can shoot a thousand yards. So mm. we're going down to New Mexico, and uh, it's. Um, it's going to be pretty fun. It's on the website. I don't know if it's filled up yet, but it's just a bunch of me and my Gunnet fans going out getting some high-quality instruction. Oh, that sounds great. Well, yeah, how many writers do crap like that? I mean, I'm... <laughs> not, not many at the BEA. Oh, no, I'll no, no. Yeah, I feel... I mean, I don't know about you, but I feel a little awkward here. My pants feel a little loose without a gun inside. It's... Uh... <laughs> yeah, are you sure you didn't believe no, it's New York City. Yeah, I don't want to go to prison for a million years per bullet or whatever it is here. I always pack a, I always pack quite a big knife to bring to New York. To, uh, in, in my, uh, in my check. See, I, I flew with just a carry-on, so I'm just gonna have to rely upon my char- charming personality and. Well, you're a big guy. Three hundred pounds of body weight. Yeah. You're an imposing guy. I don't have that. Basically, if anybody mugs me, it's I'm just assuming they're on a psychotic break and things are not going to go well anyway. Because, I mean, either that or they're really bad at target selection. So then there's got to be somebody better. <laughs> so what did um, what else is going on in the Monster Hunter uh, universe? I know that the uh, the collection's coming out with the, the other people in anthology. Yeah. That others have written Monster Hunter stories for. Including Jim Butcher. Yeah, and, that was uh, awesome. Who else? You told me some great names. Yeah, so um, it comes out in, I want to say, um, October uh, of this year. So it sieges August. Uh, the anthology is October. It was uh, co-edited by me and Brian Thomas Schmidt. And we got authors, uh, as far as New York Times bestsellers go, we got Jim Butcher, Faith Hunter, Jessica Day George, uh, Jonathan Mayberry, John Ringo. And I'm going to kick myself because I'm probably forgetting another one there. Um, we got a ton of great authors in this. We got, um, let's see, we got uh, Quincy Allen, Maurice Broadus, Mike Coopery, Brad Torgerson. Um, we got some new authors, Kim May. Um, oh my gosh, I, I know I'm forgetting people. <laughs> but well, yeah, it's, it's we'll talk excellent. We'll about this when it comes out for sure. It's um, really awesome though, because it's just a whole bunch of different authors with the different. How did you go about um, deciding who wrote what for that anthology? Oh, so that was kind of fun. So right out the gate, um, we decided we we're going to do this anthology. Normally, with an anthology, you would then put out a call for submissions for authors, but with this, you know, kind of being a very specialized thing, we didn't actually ever put out a call for submission. We just approached people that we knew, um, and my criteria was I was trying to find people who knew the world, 
were already fans of the books, or were at least I knew were familiar with the books, who would, who I knew were good writers. And so we just kind of went down the list and p- picked people we thought were cool. Uh, some of the new authors, I hadn't read their work, but Brian had worked with them, and so he knew them from editing. Um, like uh, like Kim and Quincy, uh, I had not read their stuff. Uh, Alex uh, Schwarzman's in there. I hadn't read his stuff. Hey, so we're putting out a uh, collection he put together of humorous uh, Cthulhu books, uh, Cthulhu stories, by the way. It's got a great surfing Elvis Cthulhu. Oh, nice. Books. Anyway. Yeah, it does. We, we got some really good really good authors. I mean, the ones I was really excited for because I was fans of their works was getting a Jim Butcher story in there. I just totally nerded out. They have Jim Wright, Moss Turner. Jonathan Mayberry wrote Franks. His, his actually, because we had like a maximum story size and Jim like came in way over that. But this is Jim. So, you know, when you are, when you are one of the best selling fantasy authors alive and you want to run over, you just let them. Yeah. <laughs> it's an awesome story. Great storyteller. Uh, Jonathan Mayberry wrote a Frank story, Agent Franks in World War II. It's Agent Franks versus Nazis. Oh, that's cool. Oh, my gosh. Franks it is, is so, so awesome. It's got to be fun to write. Because I've actually teamed up with Jonathan before. We did a, some crossovers where I've written in um, his Joe Ledger universe, and he's written in the Monster Hunter universe, and we did a team-up story where he wrote Joe Ledger and I wrote Agent Franks, and we put them together. And actually, ever since then, Jonathan writes Agent Franks better than anybody that, but me. I mean, he really writes Franks well. Uh, and so that was a lot of fun. And Faith Hunter did a crossover story with her Skinwalker series, or, or with uh, with Jane Yellowrock, and it was awesome. Uh, Jessica Day George, uh, who writes action adventure humorous princess novels, did uh, Trailer Park Elves versus Gnomes Turf War. <laughs> Your Trailer Park Elves are just. And they're gnomes, man. Oh, gnomes. Gnomes are gnomes. Gnomes will mess you up, man. (laughs) They're they don't mess around. What what in siege do what monsters do we encounter that other than the big bad guy? Are we? uh, I hope Uh, we get to kill a lot. Okay, so so this one I actually had a lot of fun with um, because it's set in uh, primarily in Russia and northern Russia. And so I have a, I get to draw early on in a couple like folklore creatures that I hadn't really seen before in the Western world. Um, so at one point we had a, a great scene involving a Vodyanoi frog man creature, which is just who's taken up residence in an abandoned public pool, yeah. and it's resolved through uh, use, uh, judicious use of a sledgehammer. Great scene. Frogs are <laughs> scary to me. That's I mean not many things are scary, but frogs really get to. I'm gonna have to. Yeah, this one was this is gross. We do, uh, I, and then we do this other thing. We actually, the first time in the series, I involve a giant, which is pretty, pretty cool. Because we have a giant versus a tank. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, so we didn't mess around with the giant. We actually just shot it with a T-72. Um, <laughs> Sounds like the Indiana Jones scene. <laughs> it was. We, it was, it was, even then, though, it was still, it's a giant. You don't mess around. So shooting with a main gun of a T-72 is like shooting a regular dude with a 9mm, so it still took a while. Um... Let's see, we actually got into a couple, I introduced a kind of a race of creatures that were based on some ancient Assyrian folklore, uh, a little obscure, but I needed a race of underground, basically albino mutants that got pretty cool. I mean, we got some pretty cool stuff in there, like cannibal mutants, and uh, that was fun. They live underground. Oh, yeah, yeah, and they are nasty. And they 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 they're violent and psychotic, and it, and then when they show up with guns, <laughs> it's just great. 
So did you have to determine buffs on these? Uh... Um, it's funny because a lot of that I hand wave. It's in the background. It's just when Owen's doing paperwork. Yeah. Uh, so I try not to nail down prices too much. The only time I've ever done that specifically is when we did the role-playing game. Um, and so for that, because, you know, role-playing gamers, they need to know all that information. You know, GMs, they need to know all that information that you just don't bother to put in the books. Yeah. Um, so I'm sure in future editions of that, because we're going to do a Savage Worlds version of that uh, this year. But, um, yeah, there's... Um, I think about this a bit. <laughs> Well, this the, um, the, 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 um, the, the main drivers of the books is the fact that these monster hunters do this in order to collect bounties, um, oftentimes, although they just kind of love their jobs, too. Oh, yeah. Um, and they, they get paid for, uh, for very, and it's a rising scale depending on how hard things are, right? That's the, yeah, it's, it's, it's all supply and demand, basically. The harder it is to kill and the more dangerous it is, the more money it's worth. But also, then, the more likely you are to die in the process of yes. <laughs> well, that's All right, so we've got albino uh, mutant underground creatures. Probably made of fungus or something. I don't know. <laughs> They're made of meanness. Made of meanness. <laughs> that sounds cool. Um, any twist on traditional uh, fantasy characters in this one, as you sometimes done, or is it? Yeah, um, I, I try. I do that every book. Um, I mean, so far I've, I've I've done that with elves, gnomes, orcs, dragons, uh, and a minotaur. But this one, I actually, a yes, but I don't want to give it away. Okay. Because it's a new cool, one. Cool. But I have a cyclops. <laughs> That's nice. He might have a uh, tank needed for him as well. No, actually, it's it's not what you expect, but um, okay. you've probably run into him at, con if you go to a lot of Comic-Cons, you've probably run into him. I see. That's cool. Excellent. So, um, also, you are, uh, you're going to, you're working on putting together a collection of your own stories, and it's going to be out next year, uh, yeah. 2018 at some point. Okay. Yeah, it's called Target Rich Environment. I'm really super proud of this one. It's it's going to be awesome. It's um, it's I've written a ton of short fiction, and a lot of my Bayon fans haven't don't realize it because it appeared in anthologies all over the place. Some of it appeared originally through Bayon, other times it appeared just indie places. Um, so, and it also got some original fiction in there. And I was bundling all this up, and I realized I had like two hundred thousand words of short stories. So That's Tony decided to volume. yeah. So Tony decided to go ahead and cut that in half, and so we're going to do two volumes. Um, so the first one. It's got some great stories in it. Some of my favorite things I've ever written that I'm really excited because a lot of people You're haven't really seen them. You're a short story writer. Thank you. Well, not, not every novelist is a good short story writer. Yeah, because I have a rep as a novelist, but a lot of people don't realize I, I really enjoy short stories. I get to do a lot of weird stuff that I wouldn't want to stick with for a whole novel. Mm -hmm. I have a couple horror stories in there, and I, I can't do horror novels because I'm too upbeat. And uh, my hero, my I tend to write characters that aren't good horror novel characters because yeah. they want to fight back too much. Okay. So... Um, I, I was able to do some horror, and I do horror pretty well, actually. And um, I got some, some in there that I'm really proud of. And I got some straight-up epic fantasy stories. I've got some of the War Machine stories I've done in there, some straight-up just Dungeons & Dragons stories. I've got um, a little bit of everything. What is that press in uh, Seattle that you've, that you've done books for? Uh, Privateer Press. Yeah. They, they do the War Machine game. And we, that, now have, uh, we now have their books and your books that came out on, at the e-books on the Bayonet books site, by the way. 
Oh yeah, and I recommend it. So like regular band readers, if they've not read those, are really good, and you don't need to know the game to enjoy the books. I, what are the names of the books? Uh, the first one's called Into the Storm, and it's kind of um, I think steampunk Magic Knights Dirty Dozen, and um, so it's just a, a group of yeah, it's pretty awesome actually. So they're a bunch of they're like a bunch of dregs of of this knightly order. Um, they're like the losers, the the criminals, the the dirt bags, yeah. and guys they pull. But it's leading up to a big war, so it's guys they pull out of the brig and they throw them all in this one crappy unit, and they get this disgraced officer to lead them. Only the reason he's disgraced is he was too good at his job back during a military coup. Like <laughs> dirty dozen with, uh, oh yeah, it's knights and it is. It's, it's basically it's, it's dirty dozen with mad science lightning swords. Fighting giant steam-powered robots. That's pretty cool. pretty cool. I'm really proud of it. The second one's called Into the Wild. Um, same group of characters, but only this time it's in a different setting. Fighting basically uh, magical werewolves. Well, they're um, they're now available as ebooks. Uh, in fact, we're gonna we just went ahead and uh, and took all of Prime Tier Press's books and we're putting them all up as ebooks as well. Actually, they got a lot of really good books. I'm really glad yeah. to see you guys doing that. Yeah. Well, we, you know, we like making money. Like anybody else. So. I, I'm all in favor of anything that sells more of my books. Well, we, I mean, a lot of people aren't aware that Mania Books, uh, Mania Books is a retail site. We sell ebooks that are for many different publishers. Um, anybody that wants to distribute through us, we do. Our newest edition is Privateer Press. So that's cool. Um, you also have a story coming up in uh, Mike, Michael D. Williamson's uh, Freehold Anthology. Oh, yeah. Which is uh, a really good story in itself. I, you know, it's, I, I think it's, it's a really strong story in that anthology. Um, you have an old, uh, I don't know, old know. grumpy Ronin samurai. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's because um, it was for Freehold. He's very I, cynical about samurai. <laughs> it's funny because I, I get drafted to for, for being a Portuguese guy. I get drafted to write a lot of samurai stuff because. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty Everyone good. See, yes. Yeah, I mean, I love samurai movies, and I, I came up on that, and so I'm, I, I've got a talent. I got a talent for writing samurai. So when Mike did this uh, this anthology, the premise was it was the main character's sword from hundreds of years in the future, but it's going to go back to the imperial. Yeah, it's like the red violin, but with yeah, a, with a badass sword. Yeah, so it goes back to like almost like like 12th century Japan, and uh, Zach Hill uh, wrote a story, the story before mine. So I read Zach's, and I got a feel for, like, the family it came from. Because my job was to then skip ahead to, like, the, you know, Oda Nobunaga era. And so I, I was writing this story, and so I based it. And Zach is a great writer. Zach passed away uh, last year. Yeah. Well, a good friend of mine, wonderful guy. So I took Zach's characters, and the idea was that my guy was the great-great-great-grandson of his his character. And then I wrote it and um, had a lot of fun with it. Just kind of wrote a real Toshiro Mifune semi-retired badass who just wants to be left alone plus it's freehold so i wanted to touch on that whole kind of libertarian mindset but in a world where people are basically property with the the concept of individual rights was totally foreign uh, in this world so this guy just wants to be left alone and they don't really have that feel of the movie the the samurai films the japanese samurai he is a grumpy old bastard but then mike massa writes the story after mine this world war ii and um, so it just kind of skips ahead that far, and yeah. it's a pretty a, cool idea. I have a story in that anthology as well. Which time period did you get? Right before Mike's, right before Freehold. Um, oh, cool. And, uh, in fact, the next person to get the sword will be uh, Kendra from Freehold. So you're towards the end? Okay, I haven't, I haven't read yeah. yours yet. I haven't seen that. 
Yeah, I'm I'm proud of it. I did a lot. I did I reread everything Mike had done so that I could really get a get a hand because I had to set it in his universe. Well, this is a great uh, series. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's wonderful to get to uh, to go back through it again. So I was in the zone when I was writing that. I had a, a lot of his world in my mind, and uh, I'm proud of what I did. Cool. cool. I'm excited to read that one. It'll be great. It'll when be does that come out? When is Forged? Um, it'll be August. It's August. August. Excellent. Yeah. So Forged in Blood is the name. Freehold Forged in Blood is the name of that album. Yeah, I'm actually really pumped for that one. And Siege, by the way, the reason we're at BEA is because we're signing advanced reader copies for Siege. Siege will be at, Monster Hunter Siege will be out in August, uh, right? Yes. Yes, yes. And so that's when uh, it'll be available. But the um, eArt, you know, this program where we um, we sell the uh, the tainted, I wouldn't sell maybe not tainted, <laughs> the, the, the beginning part of the uh, of the process, where it's been copy edited but not proofread yet, we'll uh, we'll sell those online for people that just cannot wait to uh, to read the, the next entry in the series. That will be available very soon. It will be up. It may be already up. I think it is actually. Well, people always ask me how close is the ERC to the final. Honestly, mine have been pretty close. Yeah. Well, you turn in pretty clean copy. That's the, yeah. I, I'm 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 not one of the hard ones to edit. I don't yeah. think. Almost all of the ERCs are. Um, or done books, but they and they've been copy edited. But there's a lot of there's a lot of little. Oh, in the air though, I did make a gun mistake. Oh dear. Yes, you. I slipped through. I screwed up. Yeah. I even knew the right answer when I wrote it, but for whatever reason, my brain filled in the wrong word. Yeah. I screwed up a gun thing, and I won't even tell you guys what it is. You'll just have to see if you the ERC readers are smart enough to catch it. But it, it's fixed in the final. Which book is it? It's in Siege. It's in Siege. Okay. Well, yeah, hey, I, well, I screwed up. <laughs> that is, uh, you know what we'll do? We will run that as a contest to give away a free Siege <laughs> for our August contest. If you can find it, we'll give you the... Uh, <laughs> what, what gun thing signed, did Larry uh, screw up? Larry's personally signed. He'll sign the page. I mean, I could even like make an excuse and say that um, the character speaking just had a fumble. <laughs> He said the wrong thing. It wasn't me. I'm sure that's. That was in character. It yeah. was in character. Yeah. The... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's that's good to know. That's a reason to read it in itself. Yeah, I don't make gun errors very often. Sometimes. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a lot of guns in those books. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So. It's funny too because I get like these guys with like professional trainers. Like, well, why does so and so have such and such? Well, because he's not you, and he has different opinions, and he doesn't know everything. How do you handle that with that? <laughs> because there is nothing like um, gun nuts arguing about pros and cons of things, unless it's science fiction people. Yeah. Well, see, there's one thing that kind of gets me, and so at one point I have this one character, you know, Trip, who I very specifically point out repeatedly he's not a gun nut, and it, a couple times he uses a handgun that's not super reliable, and another time he uses a submachine gun that's not known for being super reliable, and people are like, well, those aren't very good. And I was like, yeah, but do you notice the character whose hands I put them into? Yeah. <laughs> I mean... Come on, guys. I think this stuff through. Give me some credit. Uh, well, yeah. That's just the... I mean, some people just like to... Um, oh, people cherry pick. It's... It, the, the readers have different motivations for reading, and whatever they are, we want to satisfy them. It's the nature of the beast. No worries, honestly. Yeah. I've, I've, I know, I've actually... I've, I've had some screw-ups, but a lot of times people don't catch them, thankfully. Um... As long as I entertain people, I can get away with things. There's very few things. writers who got as much right as you. Uh, uh, yeah, gun stuff I try. I, I've, I've, I have actually screwed up some martial arts stuff at one point, because Owen knows more about fighting than I do. Mm-hmm. And so, 
uh, I have had I've had that character make mistakes that he shouldn't have. Uh, but that's more because me, the writer, I'm not a martial artist by any means. I mean, I know a little bit, but I don't. I mean, that's not my area of expertise. But I, I have dropped the ball there before. Oh well. Um, I know. Ninety nine point nine percent of readers don't catch it though. Yeah. Well, he still kicks ass no matter what. So, <laughs> um, so the book is Monster Hunter Siege, and it's uh, it'll be out in August. The e arc will be available if it's not already at manybooks.com right now. Yeah, it's, it's available. The, uh, eighth book in the series. Uh, six in the series, but we got the the Ringo spinoff novel, so it's actually yeah, so it's yeah. the ninth with uh, Ringo books. Cool. So, uh, Larry, thanks for uh, taking time out of uh, out of the liberal fest here. <laughs> well, my pleasure. Right. I think we're going to go sneak out now and eat some Thai food because, you know, one thing I'll say about Manhattan is the food is amazing. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. All right. Thanks, Tony. This is another entry in Alliance of Equals. A Leaden Universe novel by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller. Beset by the angry remnants of the Department of the Interior, and challenged at every turn by opportunists on their new homeworld of Sherbleek, and low on funds, Clan Corval desperately needs to reestablish its position as one of the top trading clans in known space. To this end, master trader Sean Yoskalen and Corville's premier trade ship, Dutiful Passage, is on a mission to establish new business associations and to build a strong primary route that links well with existing loops and secondary routes. But re-establishing trade and preserving the lives of the few remaining members of the clan aren't all of Corval's problem. Matters come to a head as Dutiful Passage, accustomed to being welcomed and feeded at those ports on its call list, finds itself denied docking and blacklisting while agents of the DOI mounted armed attacks on others of Corville's traders under the very eyes of port security systems. Traveling with dutiful trader on this unsettling journey is Patty O'Scalen, the master trader's heir and his apprentice. Patty is eager to make up for time lost due to Corville's unpleasantness with the Department of the Interior, but she is also keeping a secret so intense that her coming of age, and perhaps her very life, is threatened by it. And here is the latest entry in Sharon Lee and Steve Miller's Alliance of Equals. Chapter 3 Dutiful Passage In addition to her duties as librarian and cultural officer, Lena Faldum served the ship as a healer. Patty had been in the habit of considering her a sensible woman. The information that she was master of a dance as trivial, as purposeless, as debriot, had come as a shock. But there, Quinn was mostly quite sensible, wasn't he? And didn't he, regardless, spend time better used for reading or for exercising, threading beads along wires and chains? Some of his creations were quite pretty and could at least be given as gifts and worn. And some cachet accrued to the creator when others willingly wore his handmade trifles, even if the stones were semi-precious at best. By contrast, this debriot left no residual that might benefit one or one's acquaintanceship. 
Of course, when one danced menfriat, there was no immediate benefit, saving that gained through exercise. The real benefits became apparent when one was set upon by brigands and obliged to defend oneself or one's comrades. The aim of Debriot, as far as Paddy could divine, was to look pretty. In short, she thought, moving briskly down the hall toward her class with Master Faldom, Debriot was a waste of her time. She did, however, have her orders and her schedule, which was why she was on her way to one of the smaller practice rooms. It had occurred to her, while she showered, that the case of Lena Faldom being a healer might not be an accident. Father might well have asked a colleague for an evaluation of his daughter's proclivities and talents. After all, father clearly expected her to come healer. Perhaps he even wished for his heir to share his talent. One didn't like to disappoint father, of course, but no, she was not a healer. It was simply not possible. However, the more she considered the notion that Lena Faldom had been asked to provide a second opinion, the more she believed that she would find herself a class of one for Debriot, which had the effect of lifting her spirits somewhat as she came nearer the practice room. After all, if Debriot practice was a mere subterfuge, then she would be back dancing Menfriot at her proper level within a shift or two. That thought cheered her so much that she was nearly dancing, in fact, when she reached her destination and put her hand against the plate. The door whisked open and her mood crashed from bright cheerfulness to dark despair. For she was not Lena Faldom's only student in the dance of Debriot. There were five others in the room ahead of her. And one of them was arms master Schneider. Sean tapped the keypad and reached for his glass. His first glance at the messages in queue failed to discover the words Terran Trade Commission. It was beginning to be worrisome, this lack of communication from the Terran Trade Commission. He had initially considered it a positive sign that the honored members of the rating committee hadn't laughed in his face or issued a flat no on the spot, but had rather promised to take the matter of upgrading Shurbleak Port's rating under advisement, review the files he had provided, and contact him with their ruling in three standard months. As that date came ever more near, he was beginning to suspect that their unusual agreeableness had been nothing more than a stall. Well, he closed his eyes and indulged himself with a few deep, calming breaths before opening his eyes to consider his message cue again. Carasens Denobly. He blinked touched the access key, and eased back into his chair's embrace, his eyes still on the screen, and a communication he had never thought to see during his career as a master trader. 
In short, he was looking at a working memo from the Karasens Syndicate, under the signature of one Jennifer Karasens de Nobly, trader at large. Trader Karasens de Nobly styled the memo a first exchange of thoughts. He confessed that he had only just begun thinking of Shurbleek as a port of potential interest to the syndicate, and thus his first thoughts were necessarily incomplete. Other matters will doubtless occur to each as we discuss this in more depth, trader and trader. I offer here, as my first thoughts, a loop that accommodates Shurbleek and also Ashland, which is an anchor port for three Karasen's long loopers and many others of the small loop ships. I am thinking, too, of Nomi Oxen Rood, which is something much on the lines of Shurbleek. There is potential, but nothing that would tie it into existing routes. If there were to be a new loop, perhaps a hybrid loop, though I have not thought deeply on this, it may be that the potentials of Shurbleek and Nami Oxenrood may be realized to the mutual benefit of traders. I append a list of such cargoes as might be of interest to Ashlan and Nomi Oxenrood, for which I have some information. Also, I append a list of those cargoes which are standard on Karasen's ships, in our loops which now exist. Of very great interest to me is information regarding those items which might find favor with the traders of Shurbleek, and also perhaps an indication of specialty items which might show well in the Festivalia and so open up the mind of the wider universe to Shurbleek. I await in lively anticipation your first thoughts regarding this enterprise, which may be directed to me at the beam code below. Sealed by the hand and will of Jennifer Karasens de Nobly. Carefully, Sean set his glass aside. Of the several names he had given to Theo as possible contacts along the exploratory loop he had launched her upon, of those several contacts, he had supposed from the beginning that the Karasens would roundly ignore Corval's overture and their ambassador. The Karasens, after all, had no need of outside trade arrangements. They were complete in their trade family and their vast, intersecting network of loops, and felt no need to expand their range or change their methods. Until, apparently, now. He tapped up a new screen and filed a query for Jennifer Karasen's Denobly, then flipped back to reread the good trader's first thoughts and open the appended lists. They were remarkably complete lists for mere first thoughts. One might almost wonder if the Karasens, or if this particular Karasens, had been expecting contact from Corval. The list of the trade goods commonly carried by Karasen's ships made for fascinating reading, 
revealing, as it did, quite a bit regarding the nature of the Karasen's loop and long-time trade worlds. Sean drew a careful breath. What in the name of the gods had Theo said to the man? The console chimed then, and he flipped back to the research screen, learning in very short order that Jennifer Karasen's Denobly not only stood as one of the Karasen's three ranking traders, but was also a senior trade commissioner. The question changes, Sean murmured, picking up his glass and draining what was left. This was no ordinary Karasen's trader. How had Theo gotten an interview with this person? But that was obvious, wasn't it? Her ship. Putting aside the fact of its sentience, the ship was an old ship with, let it be said, interesting lines. A ship that had been specifically built a very long time ago to be a long looper. Karasens and Denobly would not yet have merged families and roots, Sean thought, when Beshimo had been built. And if the present-day family members hadn't quite seen anything like those lines, rest assured that they had records. Almost definitely, they would have been in contact with the uncle, trade being one of his many hobbies. In fact, it wasn't at all unlikely that the Karasens or the Denobles, either or both, had invested in the building of Beshimo many, many standard years ago. So then, Theo wins an interview with a high-ranking Karasens trader because of her ship. The Karasens might even be excused for thinking that the ship was a message. And so one of the three Karasen's elders set himself to explore just what, precisely, that message might be. And if it was to the benefit of the Karasen's. Well, well, how novel, how exciting. He would have to consider carefully and offer Trader Karasen's and his syndicate as fully realized first thoughts as he had been offered. Surely there was profit to be made for all. They only needed to work out the details. And here arrives a new practitioner of our art, Lena Faldom said, as Paddy stepped into the room, the door falling closed behind her. Join us, please. Patty slipped her boots off and moved six steps across the soft floor, bowed to the master's honor, and straightened to meet a straight, honey-brown gaze. Lena Faldom was very slight and somewhat shorter than Patty, who, after all, came from a clan known for the height of its members. She seemed to project, perhaps being a healer, she did project, a cool serenity that put Paddy immediately on her mettle. She was here to take a lesson, not a nap. The master was seen, perhaps, to smile before she inclined her sleek head. Please, 
Allow us to know your name, she said, and raised a hand slightly, as if to restrain Paddy's enthusiasm. Here we are all students. Therefore, we share call names only. Yes, Paddy murmured, and bowed to the five who stood patiently in a semicircle before the master. I am Paddy. The student closest to her, who she thought worked in the cafeteria, bowed. Ryan. Next in line was arms master Schneider, who bowed and murmured, John. Then a woman whose face bore the marks of many years. Kessless. Then was Kaztar with an outworld accent. Paddy thought him about Quinn's age, and she had certainly seen the next student, Rissalia, among the maintenance crew. Lena, said Master Faldom in her cool voice. Please, Paddy, take your place beside Ryan. You will want to have an arm's width or more between you. We stretch wide here. This was apparently a joke, greeted by several chuckles. Ryan grinned and obligingly stretched his arms out at shoulder height, giving Paddy her range. She nodded her thanks and took up a position beside, apart, and slightly behind him. Good, Master Lena said. As I have said, we are all students here. Some of us have been studying longer, but Debriot is a discipline which may be studied for a lifetime. The diligent student finding always some new facet to explore. The art has been described as a many-petaled flower, also as a multifaceted gem. And we come together as students to practice, each at our own level. As the eldest student of the art present, I often lead our practice. However, this is not always the case. Any one of us may lead a practice, and each of us will be asked to do so. She looked at them each, one by one, then said, Since we have a new student among us today, who will explain our art? I will, said Brisalia. Debriot focuses the student's attention on movement. It's inward turning. We pay attention to the movement and our mind's connection to our muscles instead of focusing on the results of our movement. As we do in Menfriot, armsmaster John added. That is a useful contrast, Lena said. Menfriot is an outward-looking art. It acts upon others. Debriot is inward-looking. From it, we learn the intent of our movements. The intent of her movements, Paddy thought, Surely when she kicked at a target or an assailant, she intended to connect, to disable the threat. What other intent? So, having described what is essentially indescribable, 
Let us begin our practice. Please, find your center. Feet under hips, weight evenly distributed. We will bring our arms up until our palms touch over our heads. And we will take four complete breaths before lowering our arms to our sides. Patty was already centered. One thing Menfriat had taught her was to always be centered. You never knew, after all, when an attack might come, and raised her arms until her palms touched. Only then seeing that, Lena and the rest were still in the process of raising their arms, slowly and deliberately. She slid a surreptitious glance at Ryan and saw his eyes half-closed and his face wrapped in concentration, as if the process of centering himself and beginning this simple movement had triggered some deeper process. She looked to Lena again, seeing that her palms were now touching over her head and watched as those four complete breaths were executed, as slow and as measured as a pilot might take them, in preparation for bored rest. Then the arms came down as slowly, if not more slowly, than they had risen. Paddy lowered hers as well, struggling to match the agonizingly slow pace, and found she was trembling and slightly sweaty by the time her fingers were pointing toward the floor again. Lena opened her eyes and smiled. Next, we will raise our arms as we just did, and when we have completed four breaths, we will bend at the hips and bring our hands to the mat. Once again, the agonizingly slow rise of both arms, Patty grimly kept pace, pilot instincts honed for precise, rapid action, abraded almost past bearing. At the top of the form, she breathed four complete breaths, hinged at the hip, and bent until her fingertips touched the mat. A drop of sweat plashed against the mat between her feet and her fingers, Paddy breathed in, feeling her muscles shake with the need to move, breathed out four times and came up again to her full height. Excellent, said Lena. Now, place your right foot ahead of your left on the mat. Bring your hands up as if you are holding a large ball immediately before your heart. Patty followed the form demonstrated, bearing down until her muscles ached, refusing to allow herself to snap into a series of kicks or to simply collapse cross-legged to the mat and have done. Very good, Lena said, and smiled directly into Patty's eyes. Now. Breathe in and pivot from center, keeping your ball directly before your heart.
That was another entry in the complete audiobook serialization of Alliance of Equals by Sharon Lee and Steve Miller. And that's it for the podcast. I want to thank the folks at Simon & Schuster at the BEA for assistance in recording the interview. And thanks to podcast theme composer Ruth Judkowitz. And the howls and growls of a reformed werewolf choir singing from their transformation cells after a delicious dinner of moons over Miami. As well as the rumble grumble thanks and praise of New York City. Happy for his bringing a touch of sanity to her streets to Larry Correa, creator of the Monster Hunter series. Please join us next time here at the hammering heart of science fiction and fantasy. And keep reaching for the stars. Thank you.